Well, if you're new here today, we've been in a series from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a little book in the Bible after the book of Psalms written by a guy named King Solomon. King Solomon was the wisest man of his time and also the wealthiest. God had put him in a position of power, and yet a lot of that went to his head. He kind of abused the riches and the wisdom that he had and did some things that didn't please God. So his life began to spiral down another path. And Ecclesiastes is sort of like his journal of writing the lessons that he learned, some really hard lessons. He asks a lot of questions in this book, but honestly doesn't give clear answers. But there is a phrase that he uses repeatedly through this book. It's a phrase, under the sun. And under the sun is a reference for looking at life and living life to the best of your ability, the best of your understanding. And what he says is it's not enough. Things are pretty hopeless, desperate. In fact, he says it's meaningless, it's vanity, it's like chasing the wind when you live life that way. And the answer is there's another way to live. Jesus talks about this. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And life is not to be lived under the sun, but in the sun, meaning in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you live in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes everything about your life. Now, if you're new here, that may just sound like church talk to you, but I just want to tell you what what we're trying to convey to you is that when God is put at the center of your life like he intended it to be, see, Solomon says that eternity is in each one of our hearts. And you can try to fill it with drugs and alcohol and relationships and success and all these other things, but it still leaves you craving for more, something that's deeper, something that's more lasting. And the reason is God gave you a longing inside that can only be satisfied by him. Now, as Solomon goes through this book, he he talks a lot about different topics that are kind of depressing, like death. And uh, death isn't something we like to talk about too often. In fact, we often uh, rephrase death to, to sound like, Something good, so we tell, say that people passed away or that they've gone home or humorously they kicked the bucket. I looked online to find the origin of that phrase, kicking the bucket, and it, it really um, comes from a game that when you run to this place called home and you get to kick the bucket, you know, that's, that's you finally arrived. And I think that's where that phrase, the bucket list, came from. Have you heard the bucket list? It's a list of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. And so on my list are things like, I want to go to New England in the fall. I want to watch the Cubs play at Wrigley Field. I want to write a book. I want to go to Machu Picchu. I want to see the redwoods and sequoias of California. I mean, I don't know if you have an actual list, but I think in your mind there is something that you want to do, some place you want to go, some experience you want to share before you actually kick the bucket. And so I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask that person, what's one thing at the top of your bucket list, okay? Right now, just take a moment and ask. Okay, not a whole lot of details, just the item, okay? Somebody posted on Facebook this, this thing. I think it could be on a bucket list. She said, right before I die, I want to swallow a bag of popcorn kernels to make the cremation a bit more interesting. (laughs) That's on her bucket list. You know, when I think about that, it it makes it go back to the movie Braveheart when William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, said this, every man dies, not every man really lives. See, I'm not going to ask you the question, are you going to die? I know the answer to that. My question for you is, are you going to live? And not just eat and breathe and exist. I mean really live the way God intended you to live. 
And some of you have come here today saying, Pastor, my life's in a rut. I'm just kind of going through the motions. I wake up in the morning, I'm already depressed about the day, and I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way. God has a better life for you, and it's found in the Son, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be shy about just explaining. You will not find it outside of that. It's found in there. And as we go through this passage today, I think you'll realize that God has a lot more in store for you than even you have for yourself. So here's what I want to do. I mentioned this last week, that we ought to come to church prepared. We prepare for big things. Teams prepare for the Super Bowl. And we need to be prepared to listen to God. So I'm going to ask you to do this with me right now. Would you prepare your heart by sincerely just saying a prayer with me that God would speak to you today? Father, we come before you with open hearts, open minds, open arms to hear and receive what you have to give. We pray you'd speak to us through your word, Father. We know the Bible's not an ordinary book. It's a divine book with power to transform a life. So would you change us today? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter nine. I'm gonna start off with this uh, very first verse. Solomon writes, and so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they, are, what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked. The good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil and everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes them all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no reward, no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. And so what Solomon hits here about living life is that if you're alive, you have hope. If you are alive, you have hope. He kind of throws his hands up in the air and says, you know, I'm looking at all this, and the good person, the bad person, both are going to die. The righteous, the person who pursues God, the person who tries to live for God, he's going to die just like the person who doesn't live for God, who lives the immoral life. The, the kid who works hard at school and does his own paperwork and answers his own questions on the quiz will die just like the cheat who's plagiarizing everything that he or she does. The, the person who's been faithful at church, showing up week after week, faithfully tithing, serving, loving their neighbor, is going to die the same death as the person who's the atheist, who's denied God and never given a penny to help anybody in need. The fate awaits everyone. The rich and the poor, the vegetarian and the meat lover, the Democrat and Republican, the Bronco and the Panther, they all face the same end. Now, you've heard this phrase, death is a part of the circle of life. And I want to tell you, God did not intend it to be that way, that you are not to accept death as normal. Death was not normal. Death is not an end, it's an enemy. To say death is a part of life is like saying disease is part of health. It's like saying losing is part of winning. Cam Newton doesn't buy that. You play to win. No, nobody intends to go through life and say, I'm going to get myself sick. That's what life's all about. I'm going to die. That's what. No, it's, it's not a part of life. Death is a consequence for sin. It came when Adam and Eve rejected God's plan for their life and said, we, we acknowledge your offer, God. We want to do things our way. 
And so they did things their way. They listened to a lie and uh, they were cut off from life. And when, when you and I make the same decision to deny God's power and authority in our lives and we do it our way, the Bible just says that's sin. That's sin, putting yourself above God. And the, and the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. So we all die because of sin. It wasn't intended to be that way. So Solomon says, if you're going to die, then it must not matter how you live. Now think about that. If it doesn't then matter how you live, it, it almost takes you to this other place of saying, and if it doesn't matter how I live, maybe it doesn't even matter that I live. And we have a whole generation of young people uh, growing up without hope who are saying, that's my question. Not how to live, but why live. And so suicide's a big issue in our culture today for that very reason. But Solomon doesn't go that far. He doesn't go that far because he says, better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Aren't you glad you woke up with breath in your lungs today instead of dirt on your face? Yeah. Amen. Life equals opportunity. Every moment you're awake is an opportunity that God has given you to seize life. It's an opportunity to grow, to learn, to give, to laugh, to help, to encourage, to, to forgive, just to experience life, to give God glory. Every moment of life is given to us as a gift, but we need hope. Hope. I love the fact that we were able to open up this place the other night to young people, many who've had many struggles through their years, and they were filled with hope. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, you need to hear the reason why we have the Scriptures. This is one of the reasons. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have what? Hope. Hope. They say you need oxygen to live. They say you need food to live. They, they, they say um, you need water to live. I know people who had food, who had water, who had oxygen, and they took their life because they didn't have hope. You have to have hope. Hope is what carries us along, wakes us up in the morning. Uh, my mother's such a, a great model of hope. She's going to be 90 years old this year. And almost every time I talk to mom on the phone, she tells me someone else died in the community, someone that maybe I knew that she's known. I say, and I say, Mom, you're outliving everybody that there'll be nobody left but your family at your funeral. But she's so full of life that, that her funeral will be not a, not a mourning of her death, but a celebration of her life. And Solomon says, you get to choose. You want your life to be marked by love or hate or jealousy? Honestly, the people around you that know you best, what will they say at your service? Because every time you go to a funeral, you have to recognize there's a little yellow light flashing that says one day that picture on the screen is going to be yours. One day the body in the box is going to be yours. And what are people going to say about you? Were you a person of worry? Were you a person of fear? Were you a person of hate? Or, or will they say, that was a person of joy. That was a person of hope. That was a person of love and generosity. We have the chance and we have the choice to, to make a difference in how we are remembered by how we seize the moments God has given us. So live life with hope. You're alive. That's good. Then he goes on in, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And he says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither work nor planning, nor knowledge nor wisdom. He is such an encourager. <laughs> Solomon is such an encourager. But, but in, midst, in the midst of all this, he does say, enjoy life. That's his admonition. Enjoy life. He says, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with joyful hearts. Gladness and joy should mark our lives. Not grumpiness, not complaining, not negativity, but joy. And he says to enjoy the good food and drink that you have. The older I get, the more I enjoy those things. My wife and I went out for Valentine's dinner last night, the Saltgrass restaurant. And man, you know, every part of that meal was just delicious. The bread and the salad and the, the meat and the, the vegetables. We didn't even need dessert because everything was, was so good. The coconut shrimp, mm, that was really good. I remember as a kid where I didn't appreciate the delicacy of food that much. I mean, you have tuna, tuna casserole, you have a peanut butter jelly sandwich. You know, you have something pretty basic, you're good to go. But the older you get, you realize God gave me taste buds for a reason. I've got, like, I've got at least four different kinds in there, and they're called your buds. They're, are my, they're my buds. And they get dancing in there when I have a good meal. And so I love good food and, and something good to drink. And, you know, here's the danger. Sometimes Christians feel like, oh, we can't have that much fun because fun is sinful. In fact, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders said, our, our goal is to deprive ourselves of, of things that are enjoyable and fun because that's what religious people do. And yet, here, when Jesus was around, did you know Jesus enjoyed a good time? Jesus hung out with people that, that others considered shady. In fact, here was a criticism of Jesus. Listen to this from the, from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew writes about Jesus and the reputation he had. Let's put the screen up, uh, or the, the verse up on the screen, because I'm not going to flip there. 11:19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, "Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." But wisdom is proved right by our actions. You know, Jesus enjoyed a good meal. Jesus enjoyed a little wine. He knew what moderation was, but he was criticized for it. I know there's probably even some in this room that said, "I don't like the fact that there were people dancing in my worship center." I think God was pretty pleased that we were loving people who were in need. And I didn't see any sin going on in this room. I saw a lot of love and joy being shared and people celebrating. In fact, one of the highlights of the night was when this big fireman dressed in his uniform, you saw he was in the slideshow, he actually went over and, and took a, a young lady, tiny lady, Down syndrome, and uh, took her on the floor and danced with her and spun her around and did these things. And she felt like a princess from the Disney movie right there. It was beautiful. I think God does that to us. I think God rejoices over us in our, in our need. So have some fun with life. He says, enjoy those things. He says, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. And wives, enjoy your husband, whom you love. He says that life is hard. It can be meaningless, all these toilsome days. But he says, this is a refuge for you. It ought to be a place of refreshment, of renewal. And a great marriage will become that for each other. Life is hard. Work is brutal. Parenting is difficult. But our marriage should be a place where we find joy and refuge. And so he encourages us to enjoy. He didn't say endure. He said, enjoy life with your wife. And here's what happens. You get married, and that's your intent. Man, I can't wait to spend my forever with this guy or with this gal. And then the bills come. Then the kids come, and the job is hard, and the hair starts to fall out, and the, and the skin gets flabby, and all this, and you start saying, you know what, this isn't what I bargained for, and then you, 
these routines, you know, the daily routine becomes the daily rut. And honestly, and I'm going to tell you, some of you are in this place. You don't know how to get out of the rut. You say, Pastor, we're in a place that I don't have a whole lot of joy. I'm just slugging it out. I'm just enduring it. But I'm telling you, it wasn't meant to be that way. When Jesus is at the center of a relationship, he changes that. I, I honestly believe that's been true in my life. When Jesus is at the center, when both husband and wife says, we're going to put God in the middle of it, incredible things happen. In fact, I, I'm looking forward to growing older with my wife. And this, this is Valentine's Day. I want to share with you a powerful little video about a couple who's about to be married. And they're getting ready to say their vows to each other. And they get to see what it might look like down the road when they've been married 30 years, 60-some years, what it could be like. And it's powerful. So I want, to, I want you to draw your attention to the screen, and we're just going to watch a condensed version of this video. I'm Christy. And I'm Tavis. And we know each other because we're getting married. In a, in a month. month. I mean, not really nervous about the idea of marriage. I'm just ready for that already. Yeah, um, not anymore. Now yeah. we're a month out already. Just ready to... It's more about just like... Get the show on the road. We're going to be able to show people this. Like our, yeah, our, like our, our kids, kids or like, you know, our family. Like this is, this is what we'll look like. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I hope you look like this. You look fantastic. Ah! <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm gonna look just like my mother one day. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay, so I need to start using sunscreen. That's that's definitely it. What are some stereotypes at this age? We're gonna have a pretty stereotypical life, but we already have a rescue pit bull when we drive a Subaru. So we'll probably we have, have a kids. couple of teenagers. Ugh. Ugh. That'll be rough. That'll be terrible. That'll be... <laughs> Go for it. No. <laughs> Hi. You look fantastic. Thank you. You'll look, look a day that. over 75. Really? Yeah. You do, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Good head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. What do you think? I think I look pretty darn good. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> what would be the last words you guys would say? Last words, that's really intense. I don't know, I just I guess I would always just want to make sure he knew how much I loved him. And how important he's been to me. You just made me a better person. There's so many things that I couldn't be without you. And will never be without you. We should write these down because we're writing our own vows. <laughs> you have them in a month. There's some like strange, like comforting feeling seeing him this way. Holy crap. This Just is like, I don't know, like, especially being about to get married and embarking on all of that. It's like I just I couldn't be more sure that this is what I want. 
you know what struck me about that video is how emotional they got at the moment. And when they looked at each other at the end there, and it really struck them like, I'm going to grow old with this person, and I, I want to grow old with this person. There is something beautiful when, when you see a couple who've endured so much in their life. And yeah, you see the stuff happen to their hair and their bodies and all that. But there is a beauty that begins to emanate from deep within someone that's not external. It's from the heart. And I know from my own experience with my wife, Julie, that, that I fall deeper in love, a richer kind of love. Not, just, not an infatuation, but a deep abiding love that I want to grow old together. I, I want to be with this person. And I recognize that, that some of you, you were squeezing each other or hugging, and uh, some of you felt like, Pastor, that's not us. I wish it was, but it's not us. I just want to tell you, but it can change. It can change. You know, I, I, people will pray for miracles all the time, and I've seen some pretty amazing miracles, you know, physical miracles, or God's healed people and, and changed things. But, but, I'm telling you, from, from my life experience, some of the most dramatic miracles I have ever witnessed is a transformation of a couple's relationship. That when the husband and wife decided to lay that before the Lord and look with their eyes both to Jesus, to actually pray about the relationship, which honestly is probably a good sign. If you never pray together, if you never even look to Scripture for direction within your marriage, then it's, it might be the fact that Jesus isn't central. Because if he is, you'd be talking to him about these things. But I want to tell you, if you would let him in, let him in to be in that center place. He can do immeasurably beyond all you ask or imagine. Don't throw away all your history, all your memories, all the struggles you went through. That's just rich background to say, God, you brought us through that to this place. And to be old, to be 90 years old and holding the hand of that person, I, that's what I want. And I think for most of us in this room, that's what you want too. And for those of you who've never been married, it's hard. Marriage is difficult. But find a person you want to grow old with. And let Jesus be at the center of the relationship. Now Solomon goes on. He talks about work. He says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. I think that's the Protestant work ethic. It's what, what Christians have believed for a long, long time, that, that, that those who follow Jesus should be the hardest and best workers any business has. That you and I ought to find joy and delight in using the skills and the gifts God has given us. You don't have to be a minister or a missionary to find joy in your work. Find how God has wired you, what he's gifted you, to be a blessing to other people. And honestly, it won't feel like you're working the rest of your life. I want to close with one other little part that he mentions in this chapter. He says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour, hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. He says here that we need to give up control. No matter how much you try to dictate the affairs of your life, you have to recognize that you do not know the day or the hour when evil may come. You can try all you want through your life to control things. We try that. We try to control our health. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working out. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to start eating kale. I'm going to do things that will help my body to live longer. But you're really just, you're pushing the ball down the, down the, the hill a little further, but you're going to eventually have to confront that. That death is coming, but... But there are a lot of other areas in life, from our finances. We are trying to control our finances. As parents, we try to control our kids. And all of a sudden, your kids go off in another direction. You realize there's nothing I can do to stop this. 
You, you get your finances in a place, and then the stock market crashes. You exercise and work out, and the doctor says, uh, you've got cancer, or you suffer a stroke. I, I've, known, I've known athletes who've died of heart attacks who are healthier than most of us in this room. Flu epidemic strikes. Hurricane or tornado rips through the area where you live. I mean, we saw the, the forest fires, you know, in Black Forest and the Hayman Fire and these other where people thought, I've got, I've, I've got a wonderful house, a half-million-dollar house with a picturesque view, and it's gone like that. As something you couldn't control. There, there's a doctrine in the Bible called the sovereignty of God. It says that God is in control of everything, that nothing happens without God's approval. And some would go so far to say, yes, God actually dictates everything in our lives, even the decisions we make. Now, I don't go that far, but I do believe this, that when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, because he is in control of everything, he then, he then becomes the driver of everything in your life. It's like putting the master driver in the, in the driver's seat of your car. He knows where to take you. He knows how to drive. He knows how to keep your life out of the ditch. And that's why we have to give up control. The whole picture of a baptism is that. Someone says, I'm giving my life to Christ. Okay, you, you, you put yourself in someone else's hands. They dip you. They decide whether or not to bring you back up. Okay? <laughs> you're helpless. Really, you're helpless. You're giving yourself up. The Christian life is a, is a whole process of giving yourself away. And, and the part that we struggle with is, but God, I want to hold on to this. And God says, that will be your downfall. Give it up. Give it up. Life is found not by holding on to it, but by giving it away. And today, some of you need to give it up. 